Welcome to another episode of No Nonsense. I'm Pamela Wallen. Today, I'm joined by founder and CEO of FarmLead, Brennan Turner. Started in 2013, FarmLead is an online grain marketplace that changes the way farmers sell grain across North America by bringing them directly into contact with buyers, verified buyers. FarmLead aims to facilitate greater efficiency and transparency in the whole grain marketing business. Now, Brennan is from Foam Lake, Saskatchewan, which is extremely close to Wadena, Saskatchewan. So we are neighbors and live right across the lake from each other. Prior to founding this company called FarmLead, Brennan received his BA in economics from Yale University, that is nowhere near Wadena or Foam Lake, and he subsequently played professional hockey, also not in Saskatchewan. So, Brennan, the real reason you're here today is, of course, because you're from Foam Lake. Yeah. And I'm from Wadena, which is the center of the universe. You're just across the way from the center of the universe. Nearby. Nearby. We live in the shadows of Wadena. (laughs) Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's the other way. Depending who you talk to. (laughs) But it is, it's an interesting story. So, um, boy from Foam Lake, these are small towns, right? My town's 1,500, yours is what, maybe 1,300? 1200 1, exactly. depends on the time of the year yes it depends on whether the farmers are in or out um so off to yale and pro hockey and wall street tell us a little just a bit about the path yeah i mean it's uh you know you're you're bringing me back to my glory days here but uh <laughs> you know i i played i played hockey first at the athlon college of notre dame in wilcox right. saskatchewan the 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 famous notre dame hounds and um yeah. you know it's such a such a uh, marked time on my kind of yeah. growth and, and as an individual and character and whatnot. Uh, and then, yeah, had the, you know, the very significantly fortunate opportunity to go to Yale University. Um, like a dummy, I dropped out. Um, <laughs> no, but the, the way that I, I kind of negotiated my contract was to pay for my remaining classes yeah. uh, that I did in the summertime. So I got my degree in economics from Yale while I was uh, part of first the Blackhawks organization yeah. in Chicago and then the Ottawa Senators organization and was part of the the team in 2011 that won a an AHL uh, Calder Cup, so that was uh, pretty cool. And then uh, played one last year in uh, in Europe in Scotland, which was um, wow. a lot of fun and a great experience. And then that was kind of when the the wheat board was kind of moving out. And um, you know, my family were were, were fairly large fam, uh, farmers in Saskatchewan between yep. Foam Lake and then on the other side down in Frontier, okay. southwestern corner and. Uh, aggregately, this year we put in just over fifty-five thousand acres of crop. Okay, um, that's serious. Yeah, so it's not, it's not small potatoes, and, <laughs> yep. and, and you know, I'd spent some time on Wall Street in the commodity trade, and with the with the wheat board going out the door, and you know, having the opportunity to kind of sell to whoever you want, and, and knowing that we were using technology on the farms a lot more and more and more and more, and, and I mean that that trend does not reverse itself. I right. do not think it will reverse itself. That's, you know, that's, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, like, that's, that's the thing that people don't understand. I mean, when you go to buy uh, a combine or a piece of equipment now, it's a million bucks. Yeah. It's got enough computer technology on it that, you know, you could go to Mars and back. Like, this is not the little old farmers with the tractors and the straw hat. It's a whole other world. No, and I, you know, I, I tell some of my buddies in New York City that there are more screens and tractors and combines that we use than on the trading desk that you have. <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's the amazing the technology that that's that's used today, and and even some of the technology that's coming up through the pipeline um, yeah. in terms of autonomous equipment, um, which is obviously you know try to try to mitigate some of the labor issues that we see in agriculture. Right. 
Um, you're you're talking about precision agriculture in terms of not just blanketing a field with as you know all the fertilizer and maybe chemical as possible, but being very hyper specific. And you know that that has reduced um, the the crop input costs across the board, I think, substantially, and will continue to do so as as we kind of see some of the. The, the evolutions of these, these these first age or first generation technologies uh, evolve. So, I mean, you know, the, the farmer today is probably, unbeknownst to probably a lot of the consumers, one of the most technologically advanced exactly. individuals in the workforce. Yeah. This is the thing that, you know, it's we keep, you talk to guys like Murad Al-Khatib and, and, yeah. and how he's operating in the world, how you're operating in the world. This is... This is not that scene that people have and, and struggling little farmers getting up at four in the morning. Yes, they're still getting up at four in the morning. But this is now a, such a big business. We all watch when things like the decision from China to cut our canola export, exports, something we grow a lot of in yep. Saskatchewan. That, that's a big issue, and therefore farmers actually have to know what's going on in the world in addition to the high-tech uh, requirements that are there. It's understanding you're in a global play, in a global market. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, the other the other fact to consider is that we can't, we, to your point, we can't just react as soon as something happens, right? Like we've, we've bought the canola seed, so right. it's not like we can not plant a crop per se. Like, yeah, we can make that decision next year, but the, the reality is that we only plant one crop a year. Yeah. And, and so when we make that decision, well, there are some agronomy reasons. We know that it's good for our soil health to rotate the crop and not just grow wheat, canola, wheat, canola, but we grow things like peas and lentils and malt barley that for all of us that enjoy beer get to to experience. Um, oats, um, you know, there's basically 14 different crop types that we grow across all the acres on, on, on my family's farm. And um, that being said, again, we make that decision based on the information available to at, at that moment. Yeah. And so as disruptions in trade or logistics as we've seen historically here uh, specifically this past year um, you know that that puts a real burden on how do I think about making a profit how do I how do I guarantee that I'm going to have a margin this year um, and and you know it's good that we have a little bit of low interest rate environments that we're seeing right now but um, you know given all the the different challenges that farmers are facing I think from a from a trade perspective, and, and even even you know, we talk about the carbon tax a little bit. Right. Um, it puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage. For sure. Um, I, I should say a little bit. It's a lot. It's a big disadvantage. It's a big for the rest disadvantage. Of the world. When I talk to my neighbors about that, and and the increase in the carbon tax that went ahead on April one in the middle of COVID mm. crazy. Mm. I mean, that was a big hit. They were all drying grain from last year. Yep. That's a very energy intensive process, and it it was costing guys eight hundred bucks for a weekend's worth of drying just the carbon tax on their bill. Yeah, I mean, I I, I quickly pulled the family. I don't know how long ago, um, and you know our our our, our drain, grain drying costs this year went up anywhere between four thousand to fifteen thousand dollars depending yeah. on the farm. Yeah, a specific member of my family, and. and you know, there's there's farms obviously bigger than that, and this you know it's not like a decision that we make, right? We exactly. we don't yeah. have the option to decide to dry grain. I mean, we yeah we do I guess have the option to not dry it. Yeah, but you then, just let it rot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And so yeah. the question is, you know, are are we going to continue to, um, you know, be taxed on the purpose of trying to deliver a best in the world, best in class product in terms of the wheat that we grow, the malt barley that we grow, the canola that we grow, I, you know, the list goes on and on. 
Um, or, or do we say, you know, this is, this is a, a function of the environment that farmers have to deal with every year. Um, and so much like you could say the greenhouses are, uh, of Eastern Canada are exempt, why shouldn't we also be exempt? Exactly. It's not like the greenhouses decide that it's going to be cold or hot. Right. right. We don't decide if it's going to rain on our crop as soon as we're ready to harvest it. And that's why we have to dry the grain. And it, it, it surprises me because there's so much discussion always, and particularly in the context of the environmental issues uh, of us being still the breadbasket of the world and the importance of food security. We heard it again in, in the COVID context. You know, I, I was traveling to India a few years ago, and, and it was stunning to me because you go across that country and you're going into cities of, you know, 20, 30 million people that nobody have ever, you know, we haven't heard of them. Mm. Um, and we went to a legislature there, and I was introduced as a senator from Saskatchewan, and, after, and there was applause. And afterwards, people came over, and this fellow was speaking through a translator, and he said, you feed our people. Mm. We eat your lentils. Mm -hmm. And he knew Saskatchewan, and he knew that we were indeed feeding. We don't even have that recognition here of how key we are to the cycle, to the system. Yeah, and I think, I think um, you know, there are some initiatives that have been recently introduced to kind of like promote um, not only the sustainability of Canadian farmers and those from Saskatchewan yeah. included, um, but but also just our, our our production practices, how dramatically they've changed exactly. over the last number of years. Like I mean, you know, we talked about technology, right? It's no longer a straw hat and overalls, right? Right. We're we're talking about pieces of equipment that are millions of dollars um, that are are guided by GPS, and we don't you know have to necessarily drive. We do have to perform and and make sure that they are optimized and, and, and performing the way they should. Um, but we, we, we produce a heck of a lot of grain with a, a very little amount of, of crop inputs, fertilizer, chemical, um, much less than we did you know, 10, 20, yeah. 30, 50 years ago even. Um, and as a result, our soil health actually, just across Canada and included in Saskatchewan, is much better for it. Yeah, you don't uh, have to just even summer follow to the same degree yeah. we used to. I mean, how, how is it that we're able to produce more than we yeah. were 20 years ago while using less crop inputs, right? So you know, there's, there's various stories and um, you know, that's part, part of my purpose, I guess, in starting our company specifically yeah. was to, to kind of try to shine some light on some of these different production practices, no tillage, for example, right? Um, you know, maybe showcasing that uh, you're even if you're an organic farmer or maybe you're transitioning, we want to be able to promote that to not just different buyers of those specific products that you're producing, but also the consumers who might be consuming it. So, you know, sharing this information up the value chain into the Loblaws of the world, the publics in the U.S., the the general mills and these these various institutions that um, a lot of consumers trust today because of, you know, their simplicity and low cost food. Um, and, and I think that's the next wave that, that we're going to see in, in uh, the, cons the relationship between consumers and farmers is more understanding of really those production practices. And that, yes, farmers are a net sustainable, they are a net carbon sink uh, exactly. player in the, in the ecosystem. So when did the penny drop about farm lead? About, okay, let's, let's figure out a way for producers and consumers or buyers to connect. Yeah, well, I think I think it's, it was it was going on for a while because we probably had a, a few too many uh, 
barley sandwiches down at Fishing Lake, <laughs> uh, which we, we both share a cabin on. Um, and, you know, t- talking about the markets and talking about the environment, you know, me coming from a Wall Street commodity trade perspective and understanding you know, there's a lot of overlap in what I see in my world to what my family is experiencing on the farm in terms of trying to sell their grain and, and fr- frankly, not necessarily getting the big, big picture. And so um, I started to write a little bit of commentary. It's called the Farmly Breakfast Brief. Um, to talk to, like basically just to my family members to give them bigger context of like you need to be aware of some of these black seed producers because they're competition right. you need to be under understanding of what is being produced in australia and maybe some of those trade agreements and um what what started with just family members kind of reading it and giving me perspective on it turned uh, today i think we have now over sixty thousand readers globally wow. um, and it's a free commentary i write it about three times a week usually monday wednesday friday and uh you know it's it's uh, syndicated in a lot of different small town publications across Western Canada and the U.S. Northern Plains, um, and uh, you know the bottom line is to give that bigger perspective. And as we started to kind of dig into that um, understanding of okay, this is what's moving the markets. It was then becoming a question of how do we time this properly to sell our grain at the best right. possible value at the best possible time, um, and. To do that was a, a large opportunity cost in terms of the amount of phone calls that we had to make or take from grain buyers. Um, many times it was, no, this price doesn't make sense to me, and I just wasted 10 or 15 minutes when I was in the middle of fixing something in the shop, right? right? Um, and and so we built, uh, we started Farmly to really provide a, a mechanism for farmers to easily share their expectations in terms of what they think they sh- they, they're willing to sell their grain for next um, and, and being realistic, right? I mean, yeah. the price for canola, you know, it's not $20 a bushel, it's actually 10. So, um, you know, you get laughed out the door by any grain buyer if you, if you came to them with a $20 a bushel price expectation. Uh, but, but easily being able to do, share that information and those expectations, as well as those quality parameters that I talked about. Um, and then on the flip side, allow buyers to easily communicate with various types of farmers in a very systematic Way, whether it be just chat through our mobile app or the website, or even making a phone call but, but directly you, through our platform. You got to make sure that the buyers that are out there, you've you've kind of done the check. Yeah, they're, so they're for real, they're not it's not some black market thing that's yeah, going on here. Yeah, no. So so I'm a nerd, uh, put simply. <laughs> um, again, an economics degree from Yale. I was a couple couple credits short of a physics minor. <laughs> Whoa, um, and, and a hockey and yeah, a hockey guy, this right? Is crazy. Um, and and so I wrote a bit of a credit risk. Uh, equation or algorithm, if you will, and we partnered with um, a global company called uh, Dun & Bradstreet, D&B, as yep. they're also known, yep. um, to, to help understand, okay, the buyers on our platform, are they legit, are they good, can they pay for the grain that they say they're buying on a monthly exactly. basis? Um, and so we we would only, initially, we only allowed those companies who did meet our credit requirements to get onto the system. Um, and keep in mind that we while we have uh, Canadian Grain Commission licenses and bonds, um, there are a lot of different types of buyers that actually don't have to qualify for that or they don't have to meet those requirements, um, especially on the feed side of things. And so um, right. we, we, we still provide the mechanism and we, we provide a, a blue credit verify check mark next to all these companies that meet our requirements. But you know, in a lot of these instances, maybe a you know, cattle rancher is just looking for a truckload of feed. And I've known him for 20 years. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily meet our credit requirements because right. he just he doesn't appear on Dun and Bradstreets and uh, lists, and they're not a CGC bonded company. But 
you know, I'm I know that John's good for the money yeah. with that truckload, and so and he we, doesn't need a grade; he just needs whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, our our perspective is that we do not want to create any hurdles in terms of how you can engage and communicate with all of your trading partners, not necessarily just the big companies, but also maybe some of those those neighborly trading partners that mm-hmm. that you've known for for your whole life. And so, um, between both those players and the big line companies, the big grain companies that you see. Uh, with their big elevators around around the prairies or, or even Western Canada, for, or Canada for that matter. Um, the point is to be able to have all of your trading partners kind of combined in one easy to access location. On the flip side, those buyers have all of their farmer customers combined in one simple tool and they're able to see all those expectations. Because if I were to say, hey, I wanna sell my next load of canola for 10 bucks a bushel, mm-hmm. right? A realistic price today. I would have to make five different phone calls to kind of set those expectations with all of my different buyers. I know that the price is in 10 bucks today, but it's giving them the indication, hey, when it gets closer to that, let's talk. Right. And, and on the flip side, there might be some other buyers that I haven't really done business with, but I'm going to give them a call anyways because they're outlier players and maybe they're a little bit further away, but they're still a player in my Rolodex of buyers that I want to deal with. And so instead of having to make all of those phone calls and literally repeating the same conversation over and over again, you set it once, and all of your buyers automatically are notified that hey, these are the terms that, that we're. And it's deal on with. the app. You just take a look. You just exactly um, all the uh, the details of getting product to buyer A or B or C, wherever they may be, domestically mm-hmm. or foreign. They make that arrangement themselves. You're not in that business. Yeah, no. I mean, we we know that these relationships have existed for years, if not decades, if not yeah. generations, in some cases, right? And so. You know, to say that we know exactly how to improve that relationship doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so we've, we've removed literally every obstacle possible to, to make your cash grain trading life easier, but also manage those relationships and, and specifically the expectations therein. So, um, you know, we don't, there's no fee to trade on the tool. There's no fee to get onto the tool. We do have premium services that, yes, you can upgrade for. And um, pay some. And pay, pay yeah. yeah, pay a monthly yeah. fee for. But the, the bottom line is that, our mission at Farmland and our company is to make cash grain trade easier. And by using the different technologies that are available, I mean, almost every farmer that, that are on our tools have a smartphone today where they, they have yep. obviously access to the internet, although that's a separate issue, internet infrastructure in rural areas. At Fishing Lake? Yeah. Hello? Oh, that's a battle. <laughs> that's a battle. I'm, I'm almost ready to build my own tower. Okay, okay. Will Fishing you Lake. call me? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'd like to be able to call the office once in a while and have a conversation. It's, it's a battle. It's a battle. And get some internet. Um, okay. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, I think at the, at the end of the day, um, you know, the technology's there. The relationships are already established. Right. But this, this, this process of exchanging information can be improved and we've done that by a factor of at least 10x. When, uh, I mean, I grew up in a household, not a farming household, but the family was in the business. Um, Once the wheat board, (laughs) so much of this seemed impossible with the wheat board in place, with those kinds of rules. Could you have done this before? I mean, technology aside, or is is it just, it's possible because of the technology, not because of government getting out of the way? Yeah, so I mean, the, the, what you're, what, the question actually that you're asking is more of a systems question, yeah. right? Because if I'm a grain buyer and I know that I buy wheat, I buy barley, I buy canola, I buy oats, I buy any other crop, right? The point is that I have a process that I've, I, I've mastered in terms of buying grain and specifically wheat that would go into a Canadian wheat board pool. Right. Um, and for me to switch to something else 
when I know that wheat is one of the largest commodities that I buy by volume and the most amount of calls and interactions and farmers that I talk to, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. And so indeed, with the, with the, the, the deregulation of the wheat board, it just really opened the door for, for an opportunity to kind of, again, combine all crop types, all different types of buyers on one location. Okay, I just want to come back to an issue we touched on briefly earlier, if I can, uh, on the whole food security issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk about it. We are potentially, and by we I mean Saskatchewan, but also kind of Western Canada, we are really a key player in ensuring food security. Globally. Globally. Absolutely. So when you see policies like discriminatory policies like carbon tax like how do we make that argument how do you make that argument when you're talking to people which is look we're solving a global problem help us i think i think it's it starts with with um maybe alleviating some of the misconceptions about the farm today right we talked about a a few of them here um and and that um we are no long i mean farming absolutely is a lifestyle um Mm. but it is also a a a pretty intensive business right i mean agribusiness accounts for i think it's two percent of of all canadian gdp and eight percent of the labor force um you know it's not it's not insignificant um to to kind of quote somebody that uh, says (laughs) it might be insignificant um and and i i think it really what it comes down to is, is sharing some of the stories of our farms like these we are not a corporate farm yes okay we are we have corporations for tax purposes right but fifty-five thousand acres that yeah it sounds like it's run by a corporate farm but i've got uh three family members in, in foam lake and i've got another two family members in in frontier saskatchewan sorry three family members in frontier you know there's seven families basically mm-hmm. that are running fifty-five thousand acres and, and living off it and living off of it right you know, the, you know some some in some years we have had to get off-farm jobs you know trucking grain for other people in order to kind of meet some of the requirements the financial requirements uh, of the farm and um i think that these stories about how we produce grain, how we become more sustainable, how our soil health is very important to us, and we're not just you know planting the same crop over and over again. All these sort of messaging you know has to be shared up, and we know that in today's world of just information overload and instant gratification, it's a message that has to be repeated many times over. And I think it's it's not necessarily material for our Canadian. Um, um, you know, fellow Canadian consumers necessarily in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver, the, you know, the urbanites, if you will. But it's also those for our customers abroad, you know, our, 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 our malt barley buyers in Japan and, and our feed barley buyers in China and our canola buyers in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more specifically, we, we've now opened the gateway to Europe to importing more canola because we meet their sustainability initiatives. And it's not like we weren't meeting them before. Right. It's just that we weren't telling anybody about that it. That we were. Right? And so, um, you know, again, this is this is why we're really focused on our company is sharing more information, not less, being transparent with our process because we have nothing to hide in agriculture about how we do it. Um, exactly. You know, you know, that being said, of course, there's going to be bad apples, just like yeah, there are yeah. in any of anybody's listening. You know, there's probably people in your office that you think is a bad apple. Right. It's the same way in our industry, unfortunately. Um, and those tend to get the most press because... The, the bad headline is always going to get the most clicks. But I'm telling you, we went through this uh, last year in the Senate. A piece of legislation came in front of us. It was about advertising to kids. But as 
you know, somewhere in the, you know, page 40 of this uh, particular bill was a statement that said, you know, um, wheat is unhealthy, like, sorry, bread is unhealthy. And you kind of look at people and go, what do you mean? Like, what kind of bread? Do you mean wheat? Like, how are we going to export a product if we declare a product to be unhealthy? This is within our own country, a country that should be aware of the the kind of the farm to table process because it's much more visible here than it is in other places. Yeah, and I think what you're speaking to is is the fact that we have two worlds of consumers. Yeah, we have consumers who have the benefit and the luxury of a low food cost environment where you're spending you know 10 percent of your disposable income on food where in other countries that we export our grain to middle east asia markets we're talking about comp- or, or families that are spending 60 80 percent of their disposable income on food right. just to live and so um you know we this is why we have the optionality of agriculture we have organic we have you know non-gmo crops for the record not you know there is no gmo wheat there is no gmo oats there is no gmo barley right and so, um, you know, th- those sort of messaging, people, people understand, you know, I, I think more so to the point is that um, if, if, if weed is bad for me, how am I able to get to the NHL, right? How, how, you are a case in point. I mean, if I, I grew up probably eating more bread per yep. pound of flesh than anybody yep. else in Saskatchewan. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Like I'm having a couple buns that just came out of the oven every time they come out of the oven, right? So, um, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of poke holes. But if we, if, we, if we pull back and kind of look at the forest and not the individual trees, what we produce relativize against any other producer in the world is best in class, best in the world. And this is why so many countries around the world not only buy from us, but also value our name. And, and that's why you're recognized in yeah. India and other places around exactly. the world for, for being from a, a, a very secure food producing region of the world. What's the next thing that has to happen in agriculture? Well, I think I think that's transparency and and kind of line of sight into this food production is becoming more more kind of commonplace. Um, you're seeing um, blockchain beer production, right? So uh, literally a visibility on a blockchain on a distributed ledger um, from literally seeding the crop all the way to producing the beer and you drinking it. Right. You can take a, a screen or a, a photo of the QR code and literally see the entire story behind that. If you want and there's a lot of people that are buying this specific beer because of the story behind it they don't necessarily want to know all the details but we should have these details available if they're available so um we we're, we're part of a couple different initiatives um, i sit on the canadian roundtable of sustainable crops and part of our, our our efforts there is to promote various um ways that we are being sustainable on the farm and saying hey these are the protocols and these are the these are the pieces of information that we want to share with our customers, both within Canada and abroad. Um, we're also part of a, a really interesting group called um, Kane, which is is kind of a, a transparency and traceability uh, organization of of a lot of different organizations, um, including Trustpix, which is the company that was behind the McDonald's uh, beef traceability program. Oh, okay. Um, so we're you know we're translating some of those different traceability dynamics. Um, that you've seen in livestock into the crop space 
And you're, start, you're, you're probably going to see more of this messaging about, hey, learn more about what Brendan Turner's family in Full Lake, Saskatchewan did in terms of growing this wheat crop this year. Yeah. Or, or you enjoy this malt barley beer in your Pilsner, or we, as we call it in Saskatchewan, vitamin P. <laughs> the point is that you're, you're showing more to the story. And, and I think that um, that's, that's what the consumer is really looking for more. They want to know, you know, what are the values behind the right. farm? What are the values behind this company? What do they stand for? Because they want to feel good. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I mean, we, again, we have all of this today. Yeah. We just have not been sharing it. And so my company um, and through our, our, our platform Combine, as well as many others, I think are, are really trying to push this initiative. And it's, uh, you know, I've been I've been pleasantly surprised by the industry aggregately coming together and say, yes, we need to do more of this. We need to work together and not being so siloed and in, in just right. focusing on let me focus on my balance sheet and that's it. I, I just, I can't thank you enough for telling the story like this because there's a real frustration when you come from Western Canada and when you're you're constantly trying to, you've got, you've got the story, you've got the facts and figures. I really appreciate you being with us. Well, thanks for having me. And, and at the same time, I mean, you know, we're <laughs> appreciative of you in terms of the stories that you tell and, and what you stand for as well in terms of uh, giving us a name here in Ottawa. Well, it's great. We're neighbors. You know, Fishing exactly. Lake, what can we say? Brennan, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this edition of No Nonsense with Brennan Turner, the CEO of Farm Lead, an online grain marketplace. Of course, he was a Yale graduate, as you heard, a professional hockey player, worked on Wall Street, and was named to Fast Company's list of most creative people. But most importantly, he's a good farm boy from Foam Lake, Saskatchewan, just across the lake. I'm Pamela Wallen. Thanks for being here.